Would you um, remain standing with me uh, in reverence for the reading of the Holy Scriptures? Uh, this is from Acts 36, 47. 36, sorry, Acts 2, 36 through 47. Um, and this is the uh, end of Peter's address to uh, the crowds at Pentecost. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of his disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 lives. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, hey, everyone. It's great to be with you. Um, just to recap, uh, we're, this is week two of our kind of four-week vision series, just to kind of lift up some ideas and some goals, a destination perhaps, that it really seems, it really genuinely seems, the Lord has laid on the heart of this community collectively, um, with maybe one, one key word being deeper, the idea of pursuing just greater depth, not reinventing the wheel, but just the nudging suspicion that there's a little bit more, there's something more to kind of all the basic expressions of this church that, that we're just kind of on the verge of being called into. And so uh, if that is true, we want to throw ourselves at that, at that call to greater depth. And it, it kind of occurred to me as, you know, um, I was praying, thinking, talking with uh, the elders and the elders' families and so many of you, so many of the just lay leaders of our church, um, the four pillars of Door of Hope, uh, kind of our founding kind of vision ideas that we've never departed from, never will depart from, uh, kind of s serve as a perfect guide for exploring kind of the main themes that have come up. And so last week, we talked about the cross, we talked about the cross through a number of different angles out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, but, but a call into a deeper intimacy with God more than anything that the cross affords us. The cross is all kinds of things, but at bottom, it is God's love for us, his grace and mercy for us that opens up both through its forgiveness of sin, but through all kinds of means, the ability to have intimate familial communion with the God of the universe. 
that like Jesus, we too get to address him as Father, and that there is nothing that can separate us from that love, and that we can never exhaust the depth of relationship that's there. It will be something we pursue into eternity future because our God is infinite and eternal. But it starts now. And the the suspicion is that there is more for us relationally with our God through the cross than we've perhaps grasped yet as a community. And we want to grasp it. But this week, we're turning our attention to community. Community, which is the second pillar of Door of Hope. And uh, if you want to get real biblical with your language, these two things just cross and community kind of boil down to the great commandment. What is the great commandment according to Jesus? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. Cross, community. Cross and community. And, you know, we live, I think it's fair to say, in a uniquely, like uniquely individualistic country. America, for all its beautiful blessings and amazing things about it, I think there are plenty of those. Um, there, are, there are shadow sides and dark sides to nearly all of them. And one of those is kind of the idea of this American individualism, this rugged individualism that, you know, maybe is expressed quite differently now in 2023 than it was at our founding. But nonetheless, there is just this idea of do it yourself. You don't need anybody. If you do need anybody, it's probably because you're kind of weak and a little less capable. And, you know, just go your own way, do your thing. And it's mutated into all kinds of different forms. Almost every major, like, subgroup of our country has its version of this. Express yourself to the absolute fullest, even if that means cutting ties with everyone and everything around you in order to do that. And it may be, in fact, that our city here in Portland uh, is one of the most uniquely individualistic cities in our uniquely individualistic country. Very well may be. Um, But I think it's fair to say, and I, I didn't this time bother to track down, you know, sociological research to validate this point, so feel free to you know, challenge it, but I think the point has been made well enough that I didn't even have to. The sense of individualism has not made people healthier. It has not made people happier. It has not produced deeper and more lasting joy. Just the opposite, in fact. It has produced greater unhealth, greater isolation, greater loneliness, greater greater untetheredness to the things that really provide meaning and, and happiness and joy and depth in life. And yet, or maybe because of this reality, God has, in fact, designed us to need community, first as a reflection of himself, who in himself is a community. That's chief meaning of the Trinity. God himself, one God, made up of these three persons in eternal loving communion with one another. And so it makes perfect sense as he creates image bearers, not in the same way. None of us are tri-unities of multiple persons. Um, Not if we're healthy, at least. (laughs) It's not like, I don't know, bad Jim Carrey movie or something like that. but none of us are tri-unities of multiple persons. We're, we're, we're a person, each of us is a person who needs, desperately needs connection to other people, loving connection and intimacy and familial relationship, safe relationships, and on and on and on. God's designed us to need community. He said at the very beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. The only thing that was not good, we're told, about the initial state of creation was Adam's aloneness. And God rectified it. So it's not just that, but he's also, God's also chosen to anchor his kingdom, the most visible expression of his kingdom and the most visible expression of his activity in the world, if we're to take the image of the body of Christ seriously, is a community of people. 
God has chosen for some reason not to usually act just through direct supernatural activity into the world, but to work through his, the body of Christ, a community of people who know him and follow him and serve him and are continually yielding themselves to him to be his, remember this image, his hands and feet in the world. So community is one of the absolute center, central ideas of the Bible, and it must be for us as a church, um, despite all kinds of cultural headwinds trying to blow us the other direction. So today we're going to talk about community. I will say from the outset, as I mentioned last week, each of these ideas are not just going to be sort of one-off little, okay, we did a sermon about that, we're going to move on. I mean, this is baked into the fabric of our church. A, community group signups go live today, FYI. Um, so we'll talk more about that. But uh, we are starting our new season of community groups, which is one of our main ways for getting people into intimate, you know, sort of proximity to one another. But also, the very next teaching series we're going to do uh, is going to be a series on community, kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of the one another passages of the New Testament to talk about what does it mean to actually, like, bear one another's burdens? What does it actually mean to, like, have to serve and honor one another? What, like, all of these ideas, to put some, try to put some skin on those. So, this is one of my passion points in ministry. I've, I've, I'm already fearful for how long I'm going to preach today. I only have three pages of notes, which is really good for you. Uh, but I'm, I'm telling myself right now that we, we have more time to talk about these things than today. Uh, so we will. Hopefully it's brief today. With that, let's pray. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you desperately. I need you desperately. It doesn't really matter what I have to say. It doesn't really matter what my ideas are, what my convictions are, what I think is fun or cool or healthy or whatever else. Uh, it, it only matters what you do, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak, Lord. I pray that we would come to your scripture where you have revealed yourself and we would submit ourselves to it. Lord, that we would, we would consider it with some measure of accuracy and faithfulness, Lord, that we would really get a genuine glimpse at your heart for what it means to live life together as the body, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. All these just unfathomably significant metaphors for what you are doing in the church at large, but even more specifically in our church here at Door of Hope Northeast. Holy Spirit, come. We need you. Give us ears to hear, not me, but you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as, as Jeshua said, the, the, the scripture reading that we're going to be teaching from is from uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And just to give you a brief recap, this was the day that the disciples had been waiting for. Jesus told them before he ascended, you need to wait until I send my Holy Spirit. Then once the Spirit comes, you'll be empowered to do all the things you need to do. The rest of the book of Acts, it's amazing. The church is birthed. But the, the disciples are kind of huddled down in Jerusalem, kind of just waiting for this thing to happen. They had a little bit of business to take care of. But eventually the day came, and it so happened to fall on the, the day of the Feast of Pentecost, um, an annual Jewish holiday, uh, full of significance. We'll talk about that another time. Um, but on this particular day, on this particular feast day, it, we're told that the Holy Spirit descended in power. And it, it blew them out of the house, and they were rushing out into the streets, and there were these little tongues of fire, it says, resting over their heads, this little supernatural depiction of, of, of you know, this image that people could see of like something different had happened to them. Um, they begin speaking 
And as different people are, are speaking, people from all these different languages, so there's a whole bunch of different Jews from all over kind of the ancient world there for this feast, and they speak different languages, and different people are speaking, and different people are hearing them in their own language, and it's just this miracle. It's this little reverse of the Tower of Babel where languages are scattered, but it's once again this little picture, this little metaphor, this little image. Actually, the first act of God uniting the scattered peoples of the world together again as one family, starting with their language. So it's full, it's just full of significance. And all this crazy stuff is happening and people are amazed. Some people are just thrown off by it. Some people accuse them of just kind of all being drunk and like they're on, they're on some new wine over here. But nonetheless, Peter stands up and he gives this sermon and he begins explaining what happened. And the this, this sermon is a very, very biblical, theological, Christ and cross-centered sermon helping them understand, this Jewish audience understand, that everything that they've been waiting for actually has come in the person of Jesus. And everything that's happening here, these miraculous acts, and now this indwelling of the Holy Spirit is, is available because of Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross. So Jesus, uh, I mean, Peter, Peter preaches this, and it's amazing. And immediately what I, what I think we're meant to see here is that the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes in this fresh new way is that he builds a community. He builds a community. And first of all, it's, it's, a, it, it's that the message of the cross unites this radically diverse community. So as I said, there's radical, it's, you know, it's, it's largely Jewish context, but still a radical cultural diversity within that was present at Pentecost. And it's a picture of even greater breadth of diversity that makes up the people of God. We try to talk about this a lot, but I mean, if Jesus said, you know, my gospel is going to go out to the ends of the earth and there are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation following me in discipleship, it's happened, friends. They're not every tribe, tongue, and nation thus far, but man, Christianity is the most culturally, ethnically diverse movement the world has ever known. And unless you begin to think that it's just sort of a white Western thing, we are rapidly, we have rapidly become the minority over here in the West as the global South has just taken off. Um, the gospel is made up of people from everywhere who look every different which way, from all kinds of cultural backgrounds. And it started here at Pentecost quite on purpose. The church is meant to be in the here and now, even every local church in particular, our local church, is meant to be a picture or a preview of the day that we read about in Revelation when every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be there worshiping King Jesus together. So each individual church is supposed to re reflect some measure of this difference coming together, not just because kumbaya, whatever, but because of Jesus because of the cross, because he has united what previously no other power could unite. And this is, of course, limited by local demographics. Every, you know, every local church is situated somewhere. Some places are very, very diverse ethnically and, you know, in terms of all kinds of other metrics. Some of them are like Portland, are just overwhelmingly white. Um, nonetheless, the church, you would hope, would always outpace its broader environment in just being a picture of diversity. Because that's what God does with people. That's what God does with people. The hope is that each church would be the place where the cross is truly shown to gather from among all peoples a people around itself. That's our hope. That's our dream. That's Jesus' hope. That's what Jesus is working for. 
And so one of the ideas here that flows out of, of, of community as one of our central pillars of the church is that we desperately desire to be a diverse, uh, a diverse church, a multi-generational church in every healthy sense. Um, but I just want to acknowledge something out of the gate. Like, it's hard. It's hard to do that when you're a small church, A, and there just isn't a critical mass of people in particular demographics. And so, for example, you don't have to do much looking around to see, like, this church is, I think, is uniquely, like, strangely uniquely heavily weighted towards, like, families with young children. Families with young children. That's, like, the critical mass of people. And there are plenty of other people that fall outside of that demographic, of course. Um, but, like, the critical mass is, like, okay, you're, like, your 30s, 40s, you've got a few young kids, and, like, that's the stereotypical Door of Hope Northeaster. And that's great. Praise God for that. That's a demographic that's actually pretty hard to get to church. A lot of people just don't participate in the life of the church until their kids are like 18. Um, and most of us know exactly why that's the case. Some of us might want to do that, but you're here. Well done. Well done. Well done. And you're fighting for community the other six days of the week. Praise God for that. But I would just say, like, one of the prayers that, like, I'm praying for, Justin's praying for, like, lots of people around this church are, are greater like just greater diversity. And one of those that's really felt and needed is, is age sort of diversity. Um, young families need like seasoned older folks who've had children and who have been faithfully single for long seasons, you know, maybe for their entire life up to now, to help us, to coach us, to encourage us, to share their wisdom with us. We are frankly dumb. Like I, <laughs> I am pretty dumb about these things, and I need people who have been walking with Jesus longer than me as a parent or as a single person or whatever my demographic, whatever my stage of life might be, um, to encourage me. And vice versa, it's often the case that folks that are a little bit older just need the energy and the vitality of younger people um, to just kind of breathe some energy and to call them into something fresh and new. By the same token, we really just… like. One of the groups that's been hardest to sort of uh, plug into this community, probably because there's so many loud children around here, is just young sort of college age, even younger adult, maybe unmarried or newly married, no kids. And, and it's not easy to see why. Like people walk in the room and like, everyone's got a kid or they're wearing like a baby Bjorn or something like that. <laughs> like, like they come in, they check it out. Like this is a nice place and I need to go like find someone to date or something like that. and It's not going to happen here. Uh, or there are a number of reasons why it's difficult. So I just want to name it. Like, we desire to be a church that reflects, like, a healthy age diversity among other kinds of diversity, racial, of course. Um, and I would just say to those of you who are here and you're feeling a little bit lonely, you're like, man, there's just not a lot of people in my demographic. I just say thank you. Like, thank you for sticking it out with us. Thank you for being faithful here. And honestly, like, you are how that problem gets solved. Your faithfulness, your remaining, your, you being an inviter, you becoming that critical mass of people that becomes like, oh, actually there is someone here that I can connect with. Now there's three of us. Whoa, now there's seven of us. You know what I mean? And so I just say, for each of us, like, we're all unique. And every one of us who chooses to kind of remain tethered to a local community serves that, that role for someone out there that they look at you and say, hey, if that person can belong here, maybe I can too. So first of all, it's just a thank you. And second of all, it's a keep praying with us that we would kind of see like a healthy degree of diversity grow in those ways. Um, and just a call to, to be the inviter and be the critical mass for someone else 
and maybe finds it difficult to belong. So it's a cross-shaped community. That means it's a diverse community. But you see here that they also just very practically continue to pursue the cross. Notice that they're pursuing the Old Testament scriptures. They're continuing to go to temple. And of course, now they've got a brand new lens. They've got a Jesus lens by which they understand the temple and the entire history of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching about Jesus. They're committing to prayer. They're committing to witness to others, seeing people come into the faith. They're committed to sacrificial love. The cross is shaping everything about the first church that we see in Acts 2. So we gather around Jesus, and we are trying, we are trying desperately by His grace to be shaped and formed by Him, and we are trying to call one another deeper into the very things we talked about last week. That's what this community is for. It must be a cross-shaped community. Another interesting thing, second idea, is that it's a gathering and scattering community, and I just want to highlight in, in chapter 2, verse 46, um, day by day, see, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What we see in the earliest church was this rhythm established of some sort of a larger gathering at the temple, like all these now Messianic Jewish Christians going to the temple to the big gathering together there in Jerusalem, which was a big gathering a big gathering there together, worshiping together, hearing the Torah taught, so on and so forth. And then there was something equally important happening inside their homes with one another. And I think this is instructive for us. There is large group gathering and smaller groups gathering, and both are essential. What you tend to find is that people tend to prioritize or value one of those at the expense of the other. Um, you tend to find people who are either all about sort of larger worship gatherings, the bigger it can be, the more hyped up it can be, the more pyrotechnics there can be, whatever. That's what it's all about. Most crudely put, it's a version of church that's about getting butts in seats. Butts in seats. And we just fill the room. Let's just get the people. That we got to have the big event, the big thing. It's maybe the most crass or simplistic way of, of thinking about it. But on the other side... On the other side, there are people who are all about just the small, intimate community. They say, man, I don't ever want to, I, like, I, I will only ever be a part of a small group of like 10 people where we can just really do the stuff we see in Acts 2, to which you say, well, which, ver which part of Acts 2? Um, but to tip my hand, I think generally in American Christianity, at least, it seems to me that the big gatherings tend to be what are prized. If you think of church, you think of, let's get as many people together, get as much hype as possible. You know, all the pastor's energy is devoted to what's happening on Sunday and then whatever else happens in it, whatever. Oh, people are suffering, uh, who cares, whatever, as long as the kind of show goes on. Certainly not every church does that, but I think, I think that that is kind of a common, a common thread in like big tent American Christianity. Um, and so I think we have to push back against that. I think we have to push, push back against that. At, at Door of Hope Northeast, we, we really want to work hard to even the playing field. Not by denigrating what happens on, at Sunday, not by denigrating what's, what happens here. I want everyone to view this time that we have together uniquely to gather our whole church community together as something deeply important, as something like crucial to, to this community's identity. And it's like a unique thing that, that we get to do, to get to see this whole group of people um, every week. So it's not to say, forget about Sunday, Sunday doesn't matter, you know, see you when you see you. 
but it's rather to, to lift up the other spaces, the smaller, more intimate spaces, to say very explicitly, participation in community groups. And if you can't do community groups, then another one of the small groups we do. And if you can't do that, then forming some kind of regular, even necessarily weekly rhythm where you're saying, I'm getting together with a smaller, more intimate group of people from this church for the purpose of knowing one another, serving one another, and following Jesus together is absolutely indispensable. And it is every bit as much as important as what happens here on Sunday. There's just there's no A team, B team. This, this, is, this was the early church's rhythm. It must be our rhythm. Because there are things that can happen here in this space that can't happen in our homes. And there are things that happen in our homes that can never happen in this space. And they're both necessary for following Jesus with any kind of integrity, I really believe. Being the church in the way that the, the New Testament prescribes. Um... So each of us will likely resonate with one over the other. You'll you, you, probably 50-50 in this room, people who are like, man, I just live for Sunday worship gathering together, and people who are like, man, I just live for small, intimate community in, in form A, B, or C. And I just want to continually call everyone to view them both as equally essential to our health as a community. We'll talk more practically about that in a minute. So that's the second, a second thing we see here. A third thing I want to highlight is that this is a loving community in Acts 2. I'll just reread 44 through 47. And all who believed, they were together. Don't jump over that word. They were together. Together is the prerequisite for all of this. And they had all things in common. What does that mean? Well, verse 45 tells us, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That is a radical example of, of, of tangible, physical love for your neighbor, for your brother and sister in Christ that's in need. And day by day, again, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The idea there is that e even the outsiders who are just seeing what the early Christians are doing, they're just like puzzled, but it's, it's producing favor. The way that the Christian community is loving one another is producing favor in those outside of it who witness it. It's kind of like when Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Jesus said this would happen. It's how it's meant to be. And the Lord, because of all this, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so I just want to note like the, the way in which this early church was caring for one another in deep, deep ways. If someone was suffering, if someone had a need, the, base, the baseline was like, God has been so generous to me. That how could I not even sell my stuff to be generous to this person? What more do I need than what Christ has already given? Yes, you're suffering. I'm going to give what I have to you. This is not just, I love you. Let's sing songs about it. This is like love that costs deeply to meet the needs of the people shoulder to shoulder with you. Um, so there is just a scale and a, an intimacy of care for one another that like, seems almost wholly foreign unless you've been the recipient of something like this, which I know some of us have. I think the idea here is that the church too, it's uh, an image that came to me was, was the idea of back in Genesis 2, 
when the description's given of Adam and Eve, it's talked about them being naked and unashamed. And I think that is just such a powerful phrase to, ca- to highlight the idea of vulnerability with one another. Like one of the things that, you know, this kind of like, pe- for people to sell their possessions and give to those in need, those needs have to be made explicit. The humiliating work of saying like, I don't have enough to eat. Like I, I'm actually suffering right now. That, that, that requires a deep dying to yourself. I don't, and again, maybe it's an American thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's universal. But we hate to ask for help. I hate to ask for help. I just love being like the sort of wholly independent. I don't need anything. My wife loves this about me. I don't need anything emotionally. I don't ever, you know, I'm just like fully self-sufficient. She, is, she loves that. Um, no, it's, it's miserable. And it's not true. None of us are actually fully independent and self-sufficient. There's no one who doesn't need anything. We might actually believe it, but that's just because we're deluded. (laughs) The prerequisite, the prerequisite for what we see here in Acts 2 is a vulnerability and honesty in many things, all kinds of things, but but here to highlight in our needs. And I want to highlight to this group something. Like one of the things that came back, I mentioned last week, we've been actually asking for like written responses from all kinds of like most of the leaders here in our church, people who serve in a leadership capacity um, over the last months. And one of the common refrains, I was really surprised to hear it. And I, I feel like privileged to get to be the like the, the center of, with all, of the wheel with all the spokes coming to me because I can just send it back out because you don't know you're all saying this to me. So many people in this community said, we are longing to help the people in our community. We want to help people. People who are over, you know, in over their heads with their kids. People who are lonely. People who are financially struggling. People who are going through tragedy. People who just feel at the end of their rope. So many of you said, I just wish people would tell me what they needed so I could help. And I would just get like, here's one person, here's another 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 person. And I was just like, oh my gosh. There is an epidemic in this small community of people who are itching to do this, some form of this for one another, who feel like they just can't really know like what's going on in everyone else, in anyone else's life to actually be able to meet that need. And that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And I suspect it's the case for the majority of us that we're like, man, I would love to do this for someone. I don't know if I'm ready to sell everything that I have, but I will sacrifice to some measure to care for someone in need. And praise God, I, I get a really special and privileged seat here. I know that this is happening to some extent, but I just want to say it explicitly. This community is saying we are desperate to know the needs of the people around us. That's a healthy thing. So Door of Hope Northeast, may we be vulnerable enough to say what we need and to accept the help that is, sounds like pretty eager to be given. And that's a beautiful thing. We want this idea of love, tangible, experiential, real, sweat and dirt, financially costly love to be the aroma of our church, both to one another and to any visitors that come. Just check, visit this community, check out. We want the love, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control that only the Spirit provides to make a tangible impact on everyone who walks through the doors of our church.
and into our homes, both spaces. We don't want it to be possible for someone to just venture into this room, and it's always a scary thing to come visit a new church, especially like a smaller, more intimate one like this. You're quickly seen. I'm like, oh, that person's new. Sweet. Um, that's vulnerable. Just vulnerable to walk in here. But whatever, whatever discomfort there is, I want like our desire, and this is one of the things from the elders' families retreat back in February that just popped out like with great resonance, was the idea that we want everyone who would just wander into this place to have just this inescapable sense of the love of God just hanging in the air. I suspect all of us want that. We want to experience it, and we want to give it to other people. Our pillar of community means this. That's what it means to be a community. It's to be people who actually have the, the proximity to love one another, where that love can be seen and appreciated and valued and experienced and that we can carry people along, which leads me to my fourth point, approximate community. Approximate community. Or maybe I didn't put the slide up there. That's okay. Approximate community is the, is the foundation for all of this. Um, you can talk all about love, and you can talk about like mutual care for one another, and you can talk about all these things, but if you're not close enough, it can never happen. Um, uh, I was at, hosted a book club this summer, and we did, uh, we did Wendell Berry's uh, book, Jaber Crow, um, which I loved. I loved it. I think generally the, the group really enjoyed it. But Jaber Crow is the name of this barber in this town, this fictional town called Port William. Is it Kentucky or Tennessee, Andrew? Kentucky. Kentucky. And it's loosely based on uh, kind of the, the, the farming community that Wendell Berry himself uh, kind of has, has lived in most of his life. But it's turned out it's this, it's this uh, uh, literary universe he's created. There's a number of novels, short stories, all kinds of different things that all are written about the characters who populate this town called Port William. And for me, one of the things I really took away from this book was, and I think, it's, I think it's what Barry wants you to take away from it, was just the way in which connecting yourself to a place roots you to it and opens yourself up to things that you could never experience otherwise. And the, the, it's a clever novel. It kind of parallels in some ways uh, uh, Dante's journey in the Divine Comedy, but in the early chapters, he's just, he's just totally resolved to just want, he just wants to be a wanderer, this character, when he's a young man. He just, he hates the bureaucracy he finds at the schools he ends, he ends up in, and he just keeps going from place to place to place until finally, through a number of circumstances, he decides to move back to Port William, which was just right next to the town he grew up in. And it's only then, when he commits himself to this place and to these people, that like his life begins to have shape and meaning and he begins to find even in the, in, in the story like connection to God that kind of grows in him over the entire span of his life that the book records. Um, and, you know, there are a number of things about the book that are just like, frankly, maybe just unrealistic in 2023. Most of these little like farming communities, don't, they don't even really exist anymore for a number of reasons. Um, there can be an idealism to the writing, to, to Barry's writing about some of this. But, but, and even, gosh, for us who live in Portland or the Portland metro area, area it's like, how, how on earth could I live a life like that? But I think it's, it's right here. 
for us, it's not so much the idea of committing to a, a plot of land and uh, this very, very small, you know, you get the sins in the book that there's like 100 people that live in Port William or something like that. Um, but it's, it's the idea of a local church. Like here in Portland, we have this. We have a group of people that are c- coming together around Jesus and are committing to one another that can actually sort of root ourselves to one another in a way that if we will be patient and if we will be faithful and if God will bless it over years and over decades, like things that we can't imagine in terms of relational depth and beauty will, will blossom. Things that, things that seem impossible, things that you almost never see modeled in our culture can actually begin to grow here. Um, one of the other things, one of the constant hopes and deep desires of, of, of the leaders of our church that, that responded to me was that there's just a longing for a deeper engagement and investment from people. I was told again and again and again that people just want more community, more connection, more confession, more time, more intimacy, yes, more vulnerability with one another. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful desire, a necessary desire. I have lots of things I can say after that, but I think I've forgotten the one I was going to say. I'll just keep going. Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, Oh, yeah. It's just the idea. It's just the idea that when you have a whole bunch of people saying we desperately want connection, the image I had is just people just like these desires that just like keep missing each other. Like it's almost as if everyone, you can imagine like everyone in this room saying, I just want to be closer with these people and I just want to be closer with these people and no one can like sync these things up where you're actually getting closer with one another. But the desire is there and it's strong and it's there from God, friends. And so what we have to figure out is how to actually get proximate so that this can actually happen, so that we can actually experience what God wants us to experience, what we want to experience, and see it, see it bloom. And, you know, th- this ties into a number of our other pillars, and I'll just um, say a little bit about it now. But, but the other thing about this is proximateness is the prerequisite for intimacy. And proximateness implies, like, locality, like a, like a sense of local belonging. Um, and so, in, in a day when, when churches, there's all kinds of churches that are trying to be, like, like literally, like, on, like, we are an online church. We just, like, serve everyone everywhere. Like, we hope everyone in the entire planet will just, through the internet, be a part of our church. And they might have really great content. They probably do. They probably do. Um, they might have really great content, and they might be a, a really great content delivery service, but they will never be this. It's just, it's just a category error. What, what this is talking about is something completely different than just delivering good content. And I want to be very clear, like, good Christian content is great. There are all kinds of wonderful con- Christian content services that, like, you should know about and you should enjoy. I mean, who, has, who here hasn't benefited from great podcasts, even if they come from churches? Um, some, gosh, something like The Bible Project, our friends down the road, that is the, 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 the Christian content producer par excellence, in my view. 
so grateful for their ministry. Use it all the time. Hope they continue. Hope they live long and prosper. Um, great books are their own version of this. Um, make use of them. Like, this is not to say, like, on, the only content you should ever consume is from this church. Ours, frankly, probably isn't that good, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but a local church provides something unique that, that content can, can never provide. And that is knowing and being known. That is intimacy. That is burden-bearing. That's love. You can't be loved through a screen. Not in this way. You can't be loved through a podcast. You can't be loved from a distance. You can receive other good things, but not these ones. That's what a local church is. Um, and I would just say, to that end, um, it, I, the elders made the decision a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I, I was kind of driving it, um, that I, th I think it's time to, to shift the way we do our, our church live stream. Um, it pained me, friends. I've said this before. It pained me to start a live stream for this church for numerous reasons, partially for all of this. Like, I just, it cuts against everything I think a church is. And yet, COVID pandemic is a pretty unique situation to find ourselves working through. Um, and so the live stream served us really well. And I, I think it was great. I'm glad we have it. I'll say out of the gate, we're going to continue to have it. Um, but it's time to sort of shift it from just sort of an open thing where I think, I think the implicit message has been like, Come if you can. If you can't, check out the live stream. Either way, you know, you're kind of plugging in with our community, and it's time, I think, to just say, like, no, there's a, there's a real cost to distance. Distance through a screen with a local church community. Um, and we, we want to continue to tighten down the live stream to say, like, to its function that it, that it had, rightly, during the high COVID era, which is, this is a thing that exists for people with special circumstances, special needs in our church to, ser to serve them. So it's going to continue to be that. So if you're watching online right now, hey, we're, pull the plug, quick, Matt, pull the plug. No, of course not. If you're watching online um, and you've got a circumstance, it's like, man, I just, for reasons A, B, and C, I just, I just can't be there with any regularity or, you know, as various viruses are picking back up, including COVID, man, I'm, I'm just really nervous for reasons A, B, and C. We are going to continue to offer it to, to, meet, to meet those needs. But, but the shift is, it's going to be like password protected. So all you have to do is just email me and say you want the password, and I'll give you the password. That's it. You don't have to like make your case to me. I'm not going to be sitting there with like, at a judge's desk like, <laughs> denied, you know. Um, but it's just another step to say like, this is, this is no longer like, I might miss church, so we'll just do the live stream. We just want to say, if, if you miss church, like you're missing something really important. And there are lots of good reasons to miss church. You should travel if you can. You should stay home when you're sick to protect other people. Um, all those things, they, like, they go without saying. There are good reasons to miss church. But what we're saying is like, you have missed something really vital, and that's sad. And like, you weren't able to gather in community, and that's, ah, we missed you. And even if you're watching on live stream, we, we still missed you here. And you're not getting the thing that's like the thing here, which is like us gathered around the presence of God actually 
together. Um, so I, I hope that makes sense. Like, the, the stream is available for anyone who needs it, and I'm not going to be policing that. Um, but it is now something I, I want you to really consider and like opt into um, if, if you have a need for it for a season. Um, and if you don't and you miss church, we'll say, hey, you, you miss church, and that, that's okay. Like, grace upon grace upon grace. You know no one's going to guilt you here for that. But just get back to that sense of like, we are not a content delivery service. We're a community trying to become a family around Jesus. Um, and yes, we're going to serve the most vulnerable people, the people who are struggling, and, and that's a meaningful way for them to connect through the live stream. But, um, but, we're, not, but we're, we're actively moving away from that. Of course, this, the podcast still exists, and the, the sermons will still be posted later and all that kind of thing, video um, for people who, who, who catch up on it that way. We're not saying we're not doing any of that stuff. But it's just in an effort to, to move away from what COVID kind of forced us into to say, like, oh, like proximity to one another really, really, really matters. Um, and to put our money where our mouth is on that. So, let me wrap that. I'll, I'll include something about that in the church newsletter this week. Um, but um, we're trying to let Jesus knit us into the family he envisions. And, and we can't do that from a distance. We can't do that from a distance. Uh, maybe one other thing I would say about this intimacy thing. If we've said this proximity thing is that there is a longing in the people of this community to really know one another. And there is a cost to others for our inconsistency. Um, maybe the most simple way to put this is we need you. Like we, we all need your presence. You need my presence. I need your presence. You need one another's presence here as faithfully as you can possibly be. Not, and not just here, not just here, throughout the week in the contours of our lives to know one another. There is a deep ministry in just the, the reality of simple presence with one another, just continuing to show up week after week, day after day into one another's lives that can't be overstated. I want us to to re-enchant the idea of our brothers and sisters in this church. Like, it's so easy to think of the other people here. It's like, yeah, that's just kind of a nameless person. I don't really know, care if I get to know them or not. Like, every person here is like a child of God made in his image with a unique story that is a story. Like, it's fascinating. With a beginning, middle, we don't know what the end's going to be. If they're a believer, we know the ultimate end is going to be glorious. Sort of like C.S. Lewis says, you've never met just like a mere mortal. Every person is just like so full of wonder and beauty and like surprises. And the more I get to know all of you, I'm just amazed by that. Like God's creativity in the contours of every single person is there for us to enjoy. Do you think about that of like enjoying the people that make up your local church community? You should. You should. Humans are beautiful, sinful but we are beautiful, full of wonder, full of the glory of God because he's made us that way. So there's a cost to us and to others for just inconsistency and for trivializing our, our commitments to be with one another in the various spaces that this church is comprised of. And maybe one last thing I would say, and then we're going to conclude, is that this church... Um, this church, to some measure, 
Maybe not exhaustively, not completely. That's my preface. This church is small on purpose. Um, and it, it struck me that the decision to plant a church, both on, on our part, everyone in this community who decided to come over here to Door of Hope Northeast, but also in our sending community, Door of Hope Southeast, um, the decision to plant a church was a decision strategically and intentionally made to create smaller, more intimate communities that have a better shot at being what this text is describing in our own place and time. Um, I know Door of Hope Southeast is feeling that. Like, they've felt that over these last three years. Like, lots of people that the, the staff and just pe- members of the community know and love aren't, aren't there anymore. And it's a smaller community than it was when we left for a number of reasons. And we're all feeling the like, oh, man, it sure was nice when we were like a church of a thousand people. There's just more resources. There's more to go. You know what I mean? But we, we tried to count that cost and say it's worth it to create these smaller, more neighborhood-oriented churches. And yes, there are costs to that. There are real costs to that. There are things that are hard about it. Um, we're going to talk more about that next week as well. Um, but we, we made this decision on purpose. And what I hope is that we will all come to see the smallness of this church, however long it exists, um, however long it's small for that matter, who knows, as a feature and not a bug. Like, as a strategic decision on Door of Hope's part, not to just try to keep going to bigger and bigger buildings, but to try to create something where this vision of life together can actually happen. Um, That's not that we don't want more people to join. We absolutely do. We want to be faithful to see the name of Jesus lifted up, see people get saved here, see people brought into the community here. We do want to grow. I would love for us to go to two services here and for that to be the marker that says it's time to plant a church. It's time to plant a church and then get smaller again. That's, that's the road we're on. We're not, if, in, unless we have any misconceptions, we're not trying to get into the Moda Center here, Dorf up Northeast. That will never be the agenda. We are trying to form these kinds of communities, and we think, we could be wrong, but we think smaller, multiplying communities is, is the best shot we have at this. So, for however long we're, you know, 150 adults and 200 kids. Um, <laughs> that's what it feels like sometimes. Um, let's take advantage of it. Let's take advantage of it because there is something, there is an opportunity there that we may not have. We may not have in other, in other times. We want this to be a church where people are really seen, where people are really known. And by God, we have got a chance here, Door of Hope Northeast. We have got a chance here if we will take it. If we will take it. Let's take advantage. So those are the four things I wanted to highlight from Acts 2. I, would, I, I said this last week, and I'll, I'll say it again. Um, we're actually going to introduce like, some, some calls to some disciplines around each of these pillars in the interest of pursuing greater depth, and the ones that I'm going to mention today are, are not earth-shattering at all. We've been saying these for years. We're just going to make it explicit. And at the end of this series, we're actually going to put, produce a little document, and it's something we're going to talk about in community groups to like say, hey, how can we like step into these disciplines together? The ones for this week is to say, um, I think we can all say community like this doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen because you want it. It happens actually over time through a process of commitment 
and slowly over time realizing as you avail yourself to the Lord and to the people around you that it's happened, almost by mistake, almost by, you get caught off guard by it. You're like, oh, now that person is a best friend of mine. I'm just looking around the room. I think of Rachel Price. Rachel and Luke are two of Susanna and, and mine, our, I'll just say our, two of our very best friends. It started in an awkward community group, the first community group that Susanna and I joined that was like pretty weird, right? It's pretty weird. And we showed up and we made, oh, she seems nice. And I remember we went to um, first, first couple date. That was at uh, Burnside Brewing that had that awful like devil logo. I, oh, anyway, don't, don't look up their logo. It's, it's a nightmare. Um, but we hung out and we hung out again. And we hung out again. And then we were playing in the worship team together. And then we were doing a little, you know, maybe took a trip together. Ten years later, wouldn't you have it? These are some of our deepest friendships. These are possibly the deepest friendships we've ever had in our entire lives. And we didn't make a decision. Best friends, best friends, let's do it. No, it just happens. You find, you go down a road and you find yourself one day going like, oh, I have community. I have community here. When I'm suffering, this person steps in. When I'm lonely, this person is a balm. And it's like that with, for, for our family, with lots of you in this room, and I know for lots of you with one another and vice versa, um, my, my only point is there's no magic formula. It's just the discipline of showing up again and again and extending, like being vulnerable and extending yourself out where you can. And you may hope, like, I hope to become best friends with this person in a month. It's not gonna happen. It takes time. And our agenda is to see more and more of these kinds of relationships just forming and forming and forming. Ten years from now, we go, man, this community is knit together in a way that only God could have done. Only God could have done. And it starts, I think, with a couple of small, simple practices. Last week, we talked about the two daily practices, simple, baseline, not revolutionary stuff, daily practice of time in the scriptures and time in prayer. We're going to give you some, at the end of the series, some very practical ideas. Now, everyone can do this differently. But how to do that daily. Here's two weekly practices for living into community, and it's this. Gather for worship with us. Seize this time as a time for community, and we're going to try to make the gatherings themselves more communal. Gosh, I have gone so long. I'm so sorry. Um, we're going to try to make these times more communal um, in all kinds of ways, but Whatever the form is, come, view it as a time to connect. The reason we start the kid, we have kids check in at 10 minutes before service, and we don't start service until 10 minutes after 10, like there's a 20-minute window there. For even if you have kids and they're like crazy and it's hard to connect, you've got 20 minutes just built in every Sunday that we just create to connect with people. We hope that you'll stay late. We hope that as we pray together and, you know, offer prayer team and all these little things that, like, these are just moments to connect. And all the other things we do are crucially important as well, but in terms of community, view this as a time to strengthen your, your presence in this body. And then the second one, it's obvious, community groups. Sign-ups are live right now on the website. There will be a few more groups popping up over the next week or two as well. And if you go on there and you can't find anything that works for you, just email me. I would love nothing more than to, to work to try to build something, another group or whatever that can kind of meet those needs, that there'd be no one who wants to be in a group, which I hope is all of you, who can't be. And you know, I know every season is crazy. Commit anyway. Just do it anyway. And if you really, really can't, 
then find another way to weekly say, I'm going to create a space just weekly to be with people from this community to follow Jesus together. Start your own little mutual discipleship group or prayer group or something. I'll give you ideas. I love helping people think of ideas around things like that. Just find a way to weekly gather for worship and gather somewhere small and intimate every week. Not that you're instantly going to become best friends with everybody, but that you're just gathering that kindling. We're going to see what the Lord sets ablaze. So, the sermon isn't where that depth happened. That depth happens, but it is to say that's where we're going to go together over the coming year. Um, for now, we should just pray and keep worshiping. This time is running short, my friends. I thought this was going to be so brief. Got carried away. Let's pray.